So the Bible reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, and it can be found on page 885 um, of the Bible in your chairs. Before we read, um, why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have the privilege of gathering as your people um, together to listen to your word. These very words you have given us come from you, our living God, and is active um, and is useful for um, teaching us and rebuking us and um, guiding us to live for you. We pray, Father, that you might help us right now put aside all the distractions that might dull our senses to hearing from you and to, um, yeah, and to help us um, by your Holy Spirit listen, listen well, um, such that we might continue to live for you through listening to your word. And we pray for Alan as well as he comes up to teach us from your word um, later on, that you would help him, um, you would speak clearly through him, and that you might challenge us um, to live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today, for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John reply, Which is right in God's eyes, 
to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man was miraculously healed. The man who is miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Do you want to know the secret to evangelism? How to be fearless and bold in proclaiming the gospel to your family and friends and colleagues? How to be a successful evangelist? If you want to know the secret to evangelism, there is hardly any better place to go than the book of Acts. The book of Acts is where we get to witness secondhand uh, the evangelistic efforts of the apostles who were the first-hand witnesses of Jesus. So today's passage, I'm going to uh, explain Acts 4 for us. Now, the book of Acts takes place after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, in Acts 1, uh, Jesus commands the apostles to uh, be his witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, the disciples received the Holy Spirit, who helped Peter to preach his first sermon about the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, in Acts 3, the apostles, uh, Peter and John, were going to the temple to pray. Now they meet this uh, beggar who was lame from birth, and they healed him in the name of Jesus. And when everyone saw this man who was lame from birth walking again, they were astonished, rightly so, and they gathered around to see what was going on. So again, Peter took the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus, uh, which now leads us to today's passage in Acts 4, uh, which is divided into three scenes. So please keep your uh, Bibles open. You will need it to follow along. And we'll start in scene number one, or should I say act one, scene one. No other message. Now Acts 4 starts off with Peter uh, proclaiming the gospel, but being interrupted by some very unhappy people. Look at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, Peter and John were preaching about Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. That's a really interesting message. It's interesting because the religious leaders at the time were greatly disturbed by it. Well, they weren't disturbed because they thought this was the beginning of a zombie apocalypse. That's not why. They were disturbed because the message itself was quite disturbing. Peter was accusing them of killing Jesus in the first place. If you look previously in Acts 3 from verse 13, this is what Peter says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. 
You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. That's a pretty disturbing message, right? I mean, Peter is saying that Jesus is from God. He is the servant of God. Not only so, that Jesus is God. He is the holy and righteous one, the author of life. And what did the people do with Jesus? Well, they handed him over to be killed. And not only so, but they chose a murderer to be released over Jesus. Regarding Jesus, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! But that's not the end of the story. They killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. The one who they rejected, God has in fact glorified. God's verdict is that Jesus is not deserving of death. Jesus is free from sin and therefore free from death. And that's why the resurrection is such a disturbing message. Because it means that the Jews were wrong. They killed Jesus wrongly. So what did the religious leaders do with this disturbing message? Well, look at verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So the apostles were arrested, just like Jesus was. At this point, you might be thinking, well, Alan, that's just really silly. Why would they tell off the religious leaders with such a disturbing message? They should have uh, been more sensitive or been more careful with how they phrased things. That's not how you do evangelism. Of course they got themselves arrested and thrown to jail. I mean, what else would you expect? Well, the outcome might not be what you expected. Did you notice in verse 4? It says that, but how many, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Huh. Now that's really interesting. Peter proclaimed this disturbing message and they got arrested for it. But somehow there were many people who still believed. The number of disciples grew from 3,000 in Acts 2 to 5,000 in Acts 4. That's the complete opposite to what you would expect, right? It's like when we hear the news about political uh, tension between Australia and China. You would expect the number of Chinese international students in Australia to drop, which it has. When you hear the news about potential war between uh, the US and Iran, you expect oil prices to skyrocket, right? And they have over the past week. When you hear the news about bushfires destroying hundreds of homes across New South Wales and Victoria, you'd expect social media rallying for fundraising, for donations. And I've seen those on Facebook. But that's not the case with Jesus, with the news of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. The outcome was unexpected. When the apostles proclaimed such a disturbing message, you expect them to be arrested. They were. 
And when you hear the news about the apostles being arrested, you expect people to not believe in their message. But that's not the case. On the contrary, many people believed. So what an interesting message this was. There was no other message like Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Okay, but why was it that so many people believed in this disturbing message? Let's read the next scene of Acts 4, and you'll see for yourselves. Uh, Act Scene number 2, or should I say Act 2, scene 1. No other name. Uh, let's read from verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Now, for those who don't know, Annas and Caiaphas were the same two people who had put Jesus on trial right before his crucifixion. Right, this meeting is known as the uh, Sanhedrin, the top authorities, the top dogs, of the Jewish nation at the time. And in John chapter 18, we can see that it was Annas who questioned Jesus first, and then Caiaphas second. And they were the ones who decided to hand Jesus over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. And if you've read John 18, you know that the apostle Peter was also at the trial. But not inside the courtroom, he was outside. Uh, waiting to see what would happen to Jesus. And that was the same night when Peter denied Jesus three times. Right On three occasions, someone had asked Peter uh, if he was a, a disciple of Jesus. But Peter denied it. Not once, not twice, but three times, all three times. Right? While Jesus was holding his ground against Annas and Caiaphas, Peter crumbled against a mere servant girl of the high priest. So what do you think is going to happen at this trial? When Peter is facing against not, not the servant girl of the high priest, but the high priest themselves, Annas and Caiaphas, how is petrified Peter going to respond? Look at verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them, and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Oh, and by this they mean uh, healing the lame man in Acts 3. What did petrified Peter say in response? Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and asked for, and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Isn't that surprising? Petrified Peter did not crumble under pressure, even when he was questioned by Annas and Caiaphas themselves. In fact, he declared the same disturbing message. Jesus, whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead. This time, petrified Peter was fearless. But is this really surprising? Should we really be surprised that Peter was fearless? I mean, Peter had good reason to be fearless. After all, God has proven that he's on the side of Jesus. Right? The Jews crucified Jesus, declaring him to be guilty, to be a sinner, to be a rebel against God's law. But God raised Jesus from the dead, declaring him to be innocent, to be the holy and righteous one. That's why Peter goes on to say in verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Right, the cornerstone refers to the most important stone that forms the base of a building. Now, I don't know if you've done this team bonding activity before where you get a bunch of material like straws and, I don't know, like um, pad pop sticks, and you try to build a tower like the highest possible tower as a team collectively. Uh, and the highest tower is usually always like, you know, just like one stick just going straight up. But then if you kind of tap it, it just crumbles, right? But the, the good ones, the, the solid ones, are those that have a firm, a solid foundation as the, as the base of the building. And this cornerstone is that foundation where everything else is built upon. In other words, God is saying that he will build his kingdom on Jesus, with Jesus as the cornerstone. How has Jesus become the cornerstone? Well, Peter tells us in verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is only one way for sinners to be reconciled to God, and that is through Jesus. God gave Jesus to save humanity through, uh, from, from sin through his death and resurrection. The name of Jesus has the power to save. In fact, there is no other name by which humanity must be saved. Right, that is such an unexpected outcome. The Jews rejected Jesus, but God provided salvation by the name of Jesus. But here's the thing. Peter knows that he needs salvation as much as anyone else. That's not just the high priest. Uh, God, God is rightly angry at sinners, especially at those who rejected his beloved son. And that's not just the high priests who handed him over to be uh, crucified, uh, to Pontius Pilate. And it's not just the Jews who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. That's also Peter, who denied three times that he was a disciple of Jesus. Did you notice in verse 12, Peter says, There is no other name by which we must be saved. By which we must be saved. Even the Apostle Peter includes himself as someone who needs to be saved. 
And we will be so wrong to think that we don't need to be saved. Or worse, to think that we are somehow better than those who are not yet saved. We may not be responsible for killing Jesus, but like Peter, we are guilty of rejecting Jesus. Even if we claim to be a disciple of Jesus, like Peter, there are moments when we reject Jesus. Right, the more obvious, obvious example is when people ask us, oh, what did you do over the weekend? And we kind of try to avoid talking about church or talking about uh, Jesus. But the less obvious examples are when we fail to live according to his commands. Right? When we look at someone lust, with lustful eyes and commit adultery with our hearts, when we see someone driving like a maniac, which I do all the time, and we indulge ourselves in anger, when we hoard our money and possessions and welcome idols into our lives, when we fail to love our enemies, we're not living as Jesus did. And when we don't live for Jesus, we deny that we are his disciples. We'll be so wrong to think that we don't need to be saved. But we would also be so wrong to think that we are beyond saving. Or worse, to think that anyone else was beyond saving. When we get too overwhelmed with how sinful we are, we must remember that God gave us Jesus for the very purpose of saving us. Just as the name of Jesus had power to save the the lame man from his physical sickness, the name of Jesus also has the power to save us from our spiritual sickness. The name of Jesus has power to save. But we would also be so wrong to think that there was another way for us to be saved. Peter makes it really clear, only the name of Jesus can save Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that's why so many people believed in this message. Even though it's a disturbing message, it really is. It it reveals our rejection of, of God, of Jesus, and reveals our desperate need for salvation. And yet God provides that salvation which we find in the name of Jesus. That's the message which Peter fearlessly proclaimed before the high priests. But was Peter really fearless? Hmm. Let's find out as we read the next scene of Acts. Uh, Act 3, no other fear. Read with me from verse 13. When they, that is the high priests, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Remember, these guys crucified Jesus. So naturally, they want to kill his disciples as well. But they can't really do that. There's a, there's a slight issue, right? 
Look at verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I mean, the evidence was against them, right? But they didn't care about the evidence. Why? Well, look at verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. See, they can't openly condemn Peter and John. The evidence was against them because the lame man was actually healed. But that's not what they cared about, was it? Did you notice them saying in verse 16, everyone living in Jerusalem uh, seems to think that this miracle is a sign from God. Not only is the evidence against them, but more importantly, the people were against them. So instead of killing them, they uh, commanded them to never speak the name of Jesus to anyone. We see that in verse 18. Then they called him in again and commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. How do you think Peter and John are going to respond? You think that they weren't going to listen, right? They won't listen because they're fearless, right? Well, not quite. I mean, it's true that they didn't listen to the high priests, but not because they were fearless. Rather, it was because they were fearful. Not of the high priests, no, but of someone else. Look at how they responded in verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So what was their reason for not obeying the high priests? Because they wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. Remember, in Acts 1, Jesus commanded the apostles to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But now, the high priests are commanding them to not be witnesses for Jesus. So, who should they listen to? To to God or to the high priests? Well, let me argue that it depends on who they fear more. It's like at my workplace when I get contradicting commands from my team leader and my senior manager. Now, there was one time when my team leader told me that I don't need to send a particular report uh, anymore because we had just introduced a new system, uh, which means that the, the report would be useless and a waste of time. But on the other hand, my senior manager um, still wanted me to run the report so that she can compare the data from before the new system to show how it's more efficient now? Well, who should I listen to? I mean, on on one hand, my team leader is my direct supervisor. He can either fail or pass my probation, 
which is pretty serious. But my senior manager is my team leader's boss. And she decides who to give contracts to. And guess what? Both my team leader and I are on contracts. So this is a no-brainer, right? I chose to listen to the senior manager because she had the power over my employment and even my team leader's appointment. And likewise, Peter and John chose to listen to God. They feared God because God had the ultimate power over their salvation. Even if the high priests had the power to kill them, which they did with Jesus, God has the power to raise them from the dead, which he did with Jesus. You see, Peter and John were not fearless. They were fearful, just not of the high priests. They were fearful of God, and apart from God, they had no other fear. This is a complete contrast to the high priests, who didn't fear God, but feared other people. Right, we see this again in verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. See, they didn't actually care that the evidence was against them. They cared that the people were against them. They had no fear of God to do what is right in God's eyes. Instead, they feared the people and chose not to punish the apostles. So I wonder if you're more like Peter and John or if you're more like the high priests. Do do you care more about what is right before God or before other people? And there is no hiding from this question because what we care about shows in our actions. In, In particular, it shows in the way we feel about evangelism, about sharing the gospel. To use an early example when um, my colleagues or family members ask me what I did on the weekend. I often feel hesitant to share about going to church or a recent Christian conference. I, I think to myself, would this be weird? Uh, or, or perhaps worse, would they think that I'm weird? I mean, I feel like I've put a lot of effort into, into building rapport with my colleagues and I can just lose it all by mentioning the name of Jesus. Well, I can go from being well-respected all of a sudden to being shamed for being a Christian. Right? Would, it, would it be worth it to even mention Jesus? And if you're anything like me, you might have had these experiences as well. And that's because, just like me, you're afraid of what people might think of you. But just as we have seen with Peter and John, they are not fearful of people. They didn't listen to the high priests because apart from God, they had no other fear. 
And this is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, you can read this, the words on the slide. Verse 28. Do not, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And later he says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You see, there is no sitting on the fence when it comes to acknowledging Jesus. You either stand with Jesus or you stand against Jesus. You either listen to Jesus or you don't listen to Jesus. We should listen to Jesus and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not just for the sake of our soul, that Jesus might disown us before his Father in heaven, but also for the sake of others. As we saw earlier, apart from God, there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. And if we truly believe that, then humanity desperately, desperately needs to hear about Jesus. And who else is going to proclaim the message of Jesus if not us, those who have heard and believed? There is no other way for people to be saved because salvation is found in no one else. And that seems very daunting. I get it. Because it feels like there's so much at stake. And that's a good thing because there is so much at stake. The salvation of people's souls. But if you're anything like me, you might get nervous or get worried. What if I, I say the wrong thing? What if things go, could go wrong? What if I get rejected? What if my efforts are in vain? But this is when we must remember that there is no other message like Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. When this message is proclaimed, the outcome is often unexpected. Right? I, when I imagine talking to people about Jesus, I expect them to reject me, to move on the conversation. But God can give an outcome that's unexpected. As we saw earlier, Peter and John got arrested. And yet so many people believed. I mean, sure, things didn't go well for the apostles. They got arrested. But God was at work by his Spirit to save souls. And all we need to do is just proclaim the message of Jesus even if it's a disturbing message, even if we expect the outcome to go wrong. I have a colleague who really likes to small talk and banter. Right? Every day he would ask me the exact same four questions. What did you do last night? What are you having for lunch? How was your lunch? What are you doing tonight? <laughs> Same four questions. Like most of the time, I don't even know if he's been serious or if he actually cared or not. 
because same questions, right? But whenever he uh, he does ask, "What did I do last night?" I try my best to, you know, muster up a bit of courage to mention, "Oh, I'm going to church," or "Oh, I have a Bible study tonight," or "I'm going to a Christian conference over the weekend," or "I'm writing a sermon." Now, of course, none of those conversations went anywhere because I don't know if he actually cared or not. But one day he asked me a fifth question. It's like as if he added like a fifth weapon to his arsenal of banter. He asked, did you go to church over the weekend? Now again, I don't know if he actually cared or not, but it felt like it was a small victory for me. I mean, it's at least it shows that I've mentioned church enough times that he knows to ask about it directly. Wouldn't it be so good if people stopped asking you, how was your weekend? But instead they ask you directly, did you go to church over the weekend? Or even better, how was church over the weekend? So what is the secret to evangelism? Well, sadly, there is no secret. It's something that all Christians should do. It's fearing God. It's fearing God and not fearing other people. And we can fearlessly proclaim Jesus by fearfully obeying God. For it is better to be rejected by people but accepted by Jesus than to be accepted by people than rejected by Jesus. And even if we get rejected by people, which we will sometimes, we will be glorified by God. Just as Jesus was rejected by people and then glorified by God in his resurrection. So why don't you pray with me to ask God that he may fill us with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the message of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the examples of Peter and John who fearfully proclaimed the good news of Jesus' glorious resurrection. We ask that you may fill us with your Holy Spirit as we bear witness for your Son, Jesus, with great boldness in Melbourne, in Australia, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.